It's time for JT the Brick. What's up, JT? Gotta get this win. Get this win. Get one win. If anybody in this organization ever talks about losing in that building, they're gone. If I ever go to a game and my team doesn't care and they mail it in, I'm returning my season tickets. I don't care if you lose the game. You're going to lose. But act like you care. JT the Brick. We're trying to help the Raider fans get through these issues that they can't get through. And they just blame me, some of them, because they think, like, I hired the guys. JT's the guy who moved us from Oakland. JT's the guy who brought in Jimmy G. No, I'm not. I'm just a guy on the microphone from noon to two every day. And now, be ready. Here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you as we open up the show on Monday. Hope you had a better weekend than me. You probably did if you didn't go to the Golden Knights game. I was there on Saturday And man, did they get beat, and did they get embarrassed, and did they get beat badly. I'm going to lead with that in the monologue as we begin. We added Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk at 1.30 Pacific. That's a big interview. We'll talk to him about what's happening with Andrew Luck. Could he be sensing he wants to come back? The owner of the Colts is telling everyone to back off. The Raiders in the draft? It's a good topic. Raiders schedule release is coming out later in the week. That's typically my favorite show of the year, but I'll be out of town at my son's college graduation. I know you understand that. I talk about my kids and family often. So it's a big week for my family and I, my mom and dad, who are flying in for my son's graduation at Oklahoma. And then I come back on Sunday. I MC Coaches versus Cancer at the MGM. Can't wait for that. And then a couple days next week, we're with Lon Kruger, Raising Awareness, Coaches versus Cancer. One of my favorite events of the year, along with Gridiron Greats with Coach Ditka, the work that I'm able to do with the Raiders and MC events, and the big one, too, that we always do, we're involved with the Fred Bolitnikov Hall of Fame Golf Classic. So a lot of times this time of year, I'm out emceeing events. I really like to do that. It's a good side gig. In radio now, as Bobby's laughing, we all need side gigs. I got one out of college. Uh, That was a punch to the gut. One more left, so uh, this is an interesting time of year. And it's a quiet time for the Raiders. And again, I do a sports talk show. It's not two hours of Raiders talk. It will never be two hours of Raiders talk. Unless it's in season and the Raiders have this unbelievable game or unfortunate loss where we'll probably plug in most of the guests as the Raiders are playing. Clearly, we have the Golden State Warriors and the Lakers tonight. A lot of our listeners are those two fan bases. That's another cool thing. In Vegas, it's a Laker town. Sorry, Warrior fans, but the Lakers are Las Vegas. Las Vegas and the Lakers have been side-by-side since Kareem broke the scoring record over at the Thomas & Mack. And the Lakers have played preseason games here and regular season games. But the largest part of our streaming audience, as I have the numbers, is the Bay Area. So really, the largest portion of this show is not Las Vegas. It's the Bay Area and the Raider Nation streaming the show every day from noon to two. So there's a lot happening here. So I got to get going and I want to begin with the Vegas Golden Knights. So it's an honor to talk about them on the radio, to get a credential, to go to the games. I saw a lot of friends there, was bouncing around throughout the course of the game, and the game ended instantly. Vegas was not ready to play at home in the Stanley Cup playoffs with home ice. The extra day off, moving the game from Friday to Saturday, which many of my guests came on the broadcast saying that would benefit the older team, the Golden Knights. It didn't benefit them at all. Their legs were stuck in wet cement. They couldn't move. They didn't have energy to break up pucks. They weren't getting in passing lanes. And they left their goaltender behind him basically to fight for his life. And they were dead on arrival, which is unacceptable because this is the Stanley Cup playoffs 
with the Boston Bruins eliminated from the postseason, the best team in hockey by far, and they're not there, and Vegas can actually win this thing. Can you imagine if the Kraken go farther than our Vegas Golden Knights? Well, it's starting to look like that as the Kraken are up two games to one, and Vegas is now even. Now, Las Vegas, the Vegas Golden Knights, they play well on the road. I'm expecting them to bounce back. But they'd be very fortunate, not lucky, to get a game in Edmonton. This Edmonton crowd will be much more intense than the Las Vegas crowd for obvious reasons. They are a mature long-standing hockey city in Canada, and those fans don't sell their tickets to Golden Knight fans. Let me repeat that. As Golden Knight fans are putting their seats up on StubHub to the vast crowd of Edmonton fans that were outside two hours before the game, I saw them on their app looking to pounce on any ticket available. I really believe this. I could be wrong. Please help me if I am. I think the Edmonton Oilers are the greatest road-traveling team that I've seen in Vegas, and I've been to a lot of games here in five-plus seasons, I think they're the best fan base. They'll get on a plane late, they'll get an extra hotel room, and they'll come down. We even met a gentleman as we opened up the show with PTs. They fueled the monologue. I went to the PTs box where our partners were, and they had four Edmonton fans in the box who drove. Who drove? I go, how long was that drive? They go, 18, 20 hours. I go, really? Where are you staying? They said, the Strat. A partner of PTs, you know, the combination of PTs and the Strat. So I'm talking to this gentleman who has an Edmonton jersey on in the PTs box going, man, that's pretty pretty much dedication. He goes, quote, this is lying to me. What else do I got to do? I go, excuse me? He goes, I gamble and I love the Oilers. I go, well, this is a pretty good trip for you. And he was laughing and drinking because he was having fun because the game was over. Here's what I know from people inside hockey and outside hockey. Vegas is getting muscled, mocked, pushed around. When Evander Kane punches one of our players on the ice and doesn't get suspended and then goes by the Vegas bench laughing and chirping, and Vegas doesn't have a player like Ryan Reeves who they can send out there and kick his ass, that's a problem. Now, that was the game plan for the Winnipeg Jets in the first round. The game plan was, look, the only chance we have is we got to put our hands in their face, we got to trash talk them, we got to get them out of their game, and it worked in the first game, and then Vegas made the adjustments. How about Vegas doing that to Edmonton? How about Vegas stepping up and doing that to Edmonton and showing some pride and getting in there and mixing it up? Now, I'm not saying take a stupid penalty. You take a penalty with this team, you're dead. You're done. These guys score blindfolded. Drysidle on the power play in McDavid. So if you do take a penalty and go to the box, you're being wrong because they'll eat you up. But you got to do something to get McDavid off his game. You got to do something, and you can't let Evander Kane mock you at this stage in his career where he's nothing more than a bully and he's out there to do his job. His job is to fluster the Vegas Golden Knights, and they achieved that. So the series is tied at one. They play later on tonight. It feels like a make or break game for me. I am not expecting them to win this game. But if they can, and they're good enough to do it, they're good enough on the road to answer and go up to Edmonton and win a game. Not both of them, but win one. This, I promise you, will be the most hostile environment the Vegas Golden Knights played in front of this year. Winnipeg was close, but this is it. Okay, so this is going to be a house of horrors if Vegas doesn't sustain their poise early. Stay out of the box and come out and get an early goal. All right, so that's what has to happen here. They got to take the crowd out of the game. As we go back to the last game, Dreisaitl is a beast. 
I mean, this goal pretty much ended the game. His first goal, another easy power play goal for Edmonton. Drysaddle wins a faceoff out to Bouchard. Left circle, back to the right Bouchard. A shot, knocked down, a rebound, score! Chipped over Brossois as he lunged out to his right. The Oilers strike on the power play. Two minutes and 21 seconds into the game, Leon Dreisaitl again. Dreisaitl's one of the greatest players I've ever seen live, and I've seen Mike Bossy. I've seen Ovechkin a number of times, Messier. I mean, I'm putting him on a high list. This Dreisaitl is something like I've never seen. He is a scoring machine. And then Connor McGavid on the shorthanded goal. I mean, this one took all the energy out of T-Mobile Arena. Theodore at the left side, poked off his stick. And now Theodore gets in McDavid's way, all the way to the goal, score! Soft sliding underneath the pads of Brossois. Short-handed goal for Connor McDavid. Three-nothing Oilers. And Dan Duvon, all these calls. What, what's going on with Shea Theodore? Frequent guest over the years, uh, one of my favorite players on the team. What's going on with him? He's a scoring defenseman, doesn't score anymore. And he just had his pocket picked by McDavid, which has happened, and that's the best player in all of hockey. Uh, we move now to the next McDavid power play goal as they were just pouring it on. This is when the blowout train came through Las Vegas. McDavid left goal line, walks in front, he scored! Found an opening in Brossois, short post. Connor McDavid, the power play goal. Took just seven seconds. Second goal of the day from McDavid. The Oilers' third power play goal on their fifth chance. They lead the game 5-0 at 8.17 remaining, second period. Seven seconds into the power play? Really? Does anybody got any pride around here? Anybody got any pride to play hard? You know he's out there on the ice. Seven seconds in into this. you got to be kidding me. Barbashev got a goal for them, which was important. I think Vegas needed to get on the board and not get shut out mentally. Here it is. And the Knights begin to change. Barbashev stays on with the fortune. Ekholm is back, took a hit, created a loose puck. Here's Stone into the zone, feeds the middle, they score! Barbashev hacks it out of the air and into the goal. Barbashev gets the Knights on the board and now trail 5-1, to one, 90 seconds into the third period. All right, so there was a little bit of life there, but not much after that. So Vegas got dominated. I thought embarrassed on their home ice, bullied. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. I haven't said that about this team in a long time. Everything that could go wrong went wrong for VGK as they got blown out. Nine seconds, a drive, blocked. Eichel picks it up, scans the ice. He'll just rip behind his own net and let the clock run out. Game two in the books. Oilers five, Golden Knights one. Dan Duvin, Gary Lawless on the call there. So, again, uh, there's no show on record in this town longer than mine, period. I started here before everybody. 96 with Bobby. Maybe there's a podcaster out there that's got something going on. And this is the only hockey show and football show and sports talk show kind of on in this building now, last I looked. So everybody in this town should be tuning in to me if they give a crap about the Stanley Cup and having one of the greatest events in the history of this town happen. That's it. I'm throwing down the gauntlet. I'm throwing down the gauntlet. Again, I think hockey fans are lost. AM radio, you're on FM. This is a nonsense. You know where to find me. If you're a hockey fan, sound off like you got a pair and be able to react to this like they do in hockey cities like Detroit, Minneapolis, even in Tampa. We've got to become a better sports media town during big events. That's all I'm asking. On a Tuesday night when the aviators are playing, take the night off. 
But when we got the Stanley Cup potentially coming to the city with home ice, after a game like that, I should have opinions waiting for me. 702-365-9200. 702-365-9200. If a hockey fan can hear my voice anywhere around the globe streaming us. Bruce Cassidy after the game, I think this was about as pissed off as he could be because Edmonton was the better team in his building. No, they were a lot better than us. They were ready to play. We weren't, uh, for whatever reason falls on the coach to prepare your team to play so um, they didn't do a good enough job there they were just much better than us won their races won their battles um, converted an early power play again and and kept going from there and we didn't have the pushback necessary we overcame it the other night and got to our game in a hurry uh, tonight we never we never found that yeah, the penalties are a big problem here because you got the best power play in all of hockey remaining with two of the greatest hockey players I've seen live. Again, Connor McDavid's on the short list. He could be a Mount Rushmore player, and Dreisaitl is amazing. The penalties need to be cut down. Here's the head coach of VGK. I don't know. I think there was – first one, I think Nabber's battling the guy in front of the net. I don't think he ever cross-checked him. He did push him into the net, uh, knock the net off. Uh, other one was a high stick, right? I think that's you know, – Playing hockey, and he fought, Whitey, I think, was it followed through? Those happen sometimes, right? Uh, guys battling. After that, I'm not not sure what the other one. Honestly, Stoney got one for a slash after he got cross-checked. I don't know, did he slash him? Maybe. He probably did. I mean, it looked like I didn't look at that one, so I assume that's an offsetting one. I don't remember the rest of them. It's it's challenge right that's on me challenging a goal it's three nothing we took a shot at that figuring well it's getting away from us here um they converted right they're they're good on the i mean three power play goals a shorty you know it's one one five on five that's where we need to win the game we didn't uh they were better than us in special teams so whatever the penalties were it doesn't matter they scored on them and we've got to find a way to uh a limit those and b you know do do a better job killing them right which is not an easy task we know that but we, we just have to do a better job and then con- on the other side we've got to convert in our power play we did it the other night helped us get back in the game and tonight uh you know we did have a few good looks on it. we've got to finish those all right so that's the coach he doesn't sound too optimistic huh he doesn't but that i give him credit that was right after the game so that's what happens with coaching in all of sports. When you get destroyed and embarrassed in your building, you want to get out of that press conference, go home, and forget it. So for those fans who say there's no difference losing 2-1 in overtime or 5-1, yes, there is. When you get outplayed and exposed, the other team knows it, and they're going to continue to do it. Let me ask you this. Where the hell's Jack Eichel? Where is Marceau? These are all Houdinis right now. William Carlson, where's he been? Riley Smith. Where is he? I know where McDavid and Dreisaitl are. I watch them score every chance they get. And I don't see this by the Vegas Golden Knights. Mark Stone is playing hard. But the last sound by Bobby from Bruce Cassidy, the fact that Edmonton came into the building and they dominated it mentally. They, they won the fights. They did everything right. This was a bad moment for Vegas considering how important this is. And where this franchise should be with home ice right here in Las Vegas. Home ice through the Stanley Cup to get to the Stanley Cup. And another team comes in and just does whatever they want. This is unacceptable. Most disappointing part of the game for me as a head coach. Um, you're going to have nights you're going to get out executed. Certainly by this team. Uh, they, were, they were more competitive. But we got sort of out teammated, you know, for lack of a better term. And that's disappointing. That should never happen to the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, we talked about that and 
you know, going forward, that hopefully that's the first thing we correct. You're not going to win if you're not playing as a team. Um, the competitive spirit is in our group. It wasn't here today. It was here game one. It was here as Winnipeg. So it'll come back. I, I, have, I have faith in the guys. We'll execute. We've been a good executing team. But, you know, as sticking together as a team in those regards, especially for a guy that's stuck up for his teammates all year in every situation, we've got to do a better job there. And I think eventually we got to it, but it's kind of late. And so let's do it from the start. Um, I think the team togetherness in the playoffs, it, it shows, right? And the other team senses it and knows it. And we have to get back to that first and foremost and get the compete level up. Execution will come after that. All right, so that's the monologue brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town. Uh, you know where to go, 5 to 7, midnight to 2. Uh, thanks to PT's that had me in their suite for the game. I wish it was a better outcome. Uh, but the team didn't play well, and we'd like to hear from some sports fans. I can't mine it down just to Vegas Golden Knight fans. I'd be out of business. I'd have no sponsors. All right, I have to get other sports fans involved in sports who can talk hockey and understand when a team gets pushed around, embarrassed, bullied, and no one on the team stands up to the other team, which happens in all the sports going into high school. If that's going to happen again, this thing is over. This thing is done. I think Vegas can react to this and really play at a high level, and they're good on the road, and they have a good track record of being in this situation here. But the season is on the brink right now because they can easily go into Edmonton and come back down 3-1 with McDavid and Dreisaitl coming in here looking to bury him. We saw this in a Stanley Cup that was here when Vegas took a one-game lead and lost four in a row. It doesn't feel like that. I would not be shocked. But I think that Vegas can come back, and the only way Vegas can win this series, let me say that, because I'm going to be gone at the end of the week, is the only way they can win is having Game 7 at home, and they do. No chance I see that. This is going to go 7 if Vegas is fortunate to get to 7, and they got that game at home. So that would be it. They're not down 2-1. They're not down 3-0. They have a chance to come back. 702-365-9200 as we kick off the show. Uh, There's a lot of talk today on Jokic. Uh, the two-time MVP of Denver going into the stands to grab a ball where the Phoenix Suns owner grabbed the ball and looked to play a little keep away from Jokic, which I thought was just weird because Matashiba, who just bought the team, is a guy's guy, played under Tom Izzo as a bench player, now he's a multi-billionaire, and bought the Phoenix Suns from a really bad guy in Robert Sarver. So he's the king of Phoenix right now, and he's going to put a lot of money into this team, and they're going to be relevant with him as the owner. He's a former basketball player, and he's young, and he's got money to spend, and he loves this team. But I thought it was really interesting on why Jokic went into the crowd to retrieve a ball. That's not what he should be doing, and he shouldn't get suspended for it, but it's a big topic. But this is a league that suspended Draymond Green for something physical as Draymond stomped down on a player. Well, Jokic did throw an elbow at a fan. He did. There's no, no, I don't think he should be suspended for that because he was grabbing the ball and his elbow went. But when it hit the fan, the owner, and he's a fan, he's the owner, he could be sitting up in the suite. He did not have to be down on the court. And what, were the, what are the odds of the ball? Listen to this for a second. My son told me this. What are the odds with all the people that sit courtside? It's well over 150 people. That's how many seats there are courtside. There's not 40. You know, both sidelines and underneath the basket. What are the odds of a basketball bouncing into the hands of an owner who's sitting in the corner when a player goes flying by into the crowd? That, to me, was really like basketball gods type stuff. That's kind of weird. But here's the play-by-play of it and how it went down. As Phoenix turns it over, and boy, Jokic 
Little bit of contact. Boy, that potentially could get dangerous. I think Jokic was just trying to get the basketball from the crowd, and crowd uh, a little upset about that. And boy, right in the area where Suns owner Matt Ispy is seated, just to our left in that corner, as security quickly trying to step in and defuse the situation. A little bad boy action there from <laughs> Matt Ispy from Detroit. Yeah, it was. That was a good play-by-play on the call there. So that's how that played out. I'd like to know your opinion. I'd like to know your opinion on exactly what happened there and if you believe that there should be a suspension or not. That's a pretty important topic. Today, that's the biggest topic in sports from the debaters in the morning and every other show. They're wondering, does Jokic get whacked? If he does in Game 5, then it's going to be brutal. It's going to be absolutely brutal if he ends up doing that. So listen to after the game here, the comments after the game as there was tension in the building. Yeah, I'm still not really sure what happened. I haven't seen a video of it. I think it's crazy that Nicola got technical foul in that situation. He's going to get the ball, and some some fan is holding on to the ball like he wants to be a part of the game. Just get the ball up, man. You know what I mean? And, you know, they they deemed Nicola doing something that was excessive, I guess, and they gave him the tech, but uh, I still don't really understand it. Think the fans, the owner of the Suns, made any difference? I don't give a I mean, it's, you know, it's, I really don't care. Well, he dropped an S-bomb there. Thank God Bobby caught that. Man, you don't want to do that. So uh, that's what happened. That's the head coach of Denver. What do you think about suspensions overall? And I was on the radio one of the most unique nights in my entire career. To this day, it'll be on the Mount Rushmore. I was on the radio live in Detroit for the Malice at the Palace. Remember when Ron Artest went into the stands? Back then, I was syndicated at night on another network, and they didn't have local programming. So I'm on live when it happens, and then I I, I had like a four-hour show back then, and it was like an hour into the show, and then the whole world felt like they were calling me from the event. Like fans were calling. It was ugly. That wasn't that. So I don't think he should be suspended, but we got a lot of Warrior fans listening, and Warrior fans are probably saying, well, you know, went around to Draymond and other suspensions here. I don't think it was an ugly incident. But I can't figure this out. I don't know why Jokic went into the crowd to get the ball. In soccer, in soccer, which I watch a lot of, if the ball goes out of bounds, you can grab the ball. The player can run and get it and then reset and kick it or throw it in. And then you can continue to go. In basketball, you don't. The ref wasn't going to let Jokic get the ball and then throw it in bounds. It was a dead ball. It was a turnover. So I don't know. You know why he went after the ball? Adrenaline. Oftentimes we share this with professional athletes They have adrenaline. You can't hold an athlete responsible for life for a bad decision when they have adrenaline pumping through their veins, along with some steroids and some performance enhancers. I'm only joking. But with athletes there, you can't judge an athlete. Now, if an athlete punches a fan or throws them to the ground, that's one thing. But how can anybody say, you know, that athlete... He went to get the ball in the stand. Someone was grabbing the ball, and he tried to pull it away, and he accidentally hit him. Is that a suspendable event? I think I'm really down the middle on this. Normally, I have a stronger opinion. If he got suspended, I would not be shocked, but I don't think he should be. You'd be taking the best player in the sport, in the sport, out of game five at home. It changes the whole series. I'd like your opinion on that at 702-365-9200. And then finally, the Raiders' schedule is coming out. Uh, a former GM, Bruce Allen, back in the day, 20-something years ago, sat me down in his office. I tell this story. And he, he, he taught me how to look at the schedule from a professional GM standard. 
And he said, sit down, I'm going to teach you this. And he got up on the whiteboard and he says, this is where we look for our bye week. This is where we look at travel. This is where we don't want to have back-to-back games on the road. This is where the weather comes into play. We're in Oakland. We play in good weather. We got three cold-weather games. If we can catch two of them early in the year where it's not cold. So I learned to study the formula that he had, and it stayed with me ever since. When it comes to the Raiders' schedule this year, I don't want to, I don't want to be Debbie Downer because the last couple of years I have been. The schedule's been tough on the Raiders. It has been. This year, the Raiders don't have many games that you can look at like in the years past, the Jets sucked. So you're playing the Jets, you go, okay, that's a win. You know, that's a win. You got Jacksonville, that's a win. There's not many much of those left, okay? But I think the Raiders are better than they're getting credit for from everybody, all the talking heads. I think the Raiders did a nice job in the draft to be explosive. That's a new term you're going to hear from me, remember? Uh, as they've been telling us, nonstop, they went faster, more explosive and smarter players. They got that with the backup quarterback, smarter. They got that with the new whatever receiver you want to call Trey. He's in the yeah, yeah, he's in the slot, more explosive, right? They got an explosive, smart edge rusher. So I don't think the rest of the league knows that. At least the talking heads don't. The other GMs do. So I think the Raiders are going to be better than whatever the schedule says. But there's a lot of good teams coming to Las Vegas, and they're coming with full pockets, ready to buy tickets, ready to stay here for two or three days. When you get a chance to see the Giants and the Green Bay Packers come into town and the Jets and those fans have never had a game in Allegiant Stadium, they're going to want to come. Uh, Is there a rumor? There's a rumor that the Raiders could be on the road in London. I love being on the road in London. I don't like it. I love it. No surprise I'll request that game to go to, maybe. But it's not going to be a home game. They just got a new stadium. If they're a road team against Buffalo and they're there, and then the talk of F1. Right, So F1's going to be here, which is bigger than the Super Bowl, and how that's going to affect the scheduling with hotel rooms and all of that. So I think this one's going to be a little bit tricky. Uh, I'll throw this out here the next three days while I'm on the air. What's your biggest concern ahead of the Raiders' release of the schedule? What's your biggest concern? Do you want Kansas City early? I do. I want Kansas City like the second game, not the first game. Not the first game. That, that's that's not good. And the Raiders aren't going to get Kansas City the first game because Kansas City won the Super Bowl. And Kansas City's going to play at home on Thursday night to open the season and have 10 days off. 10 days off. Nine days off. If they give the Raiders that game after Kansas City, it's 1-0 with nine days off. That is an absolute slap in the face, and they might do it. We typically get the Chargers early. I'm good with that. Home or away, I don't care. It's a home game in L.A. Remember, the only cool thing about this is the Raiders get an extra home game in Los Angeles because the Charger game is undisputed a home game, period. So I don't care where they put that game. And then the bye week's really important to me. Do you want an early bye week, middle or late? We got an early one recently. I'd like it middle. I'd like the bye week, week seven, week eight. Some of the coaches might like it week eight or nine. Uh, You can't control that. And then here's the big one, save the best for last. How many national games are we going to get? Because last year they bleeping screwed us and embarrassed us, and they did not give Mark Davis a national home game, and then they flexed us out of one with with, what happened there. So everything that happened last year by Roger Goodell and the schedule makers was an absolute disgrace. The Raiders did go to the playoffs. They went to the playoffs with 10 wins, and they had their national schedule ripped from them, ripped from them for no reason in the entertainment capital of the world. Will there be a makeup? A makeup call for the silver and black. Get a Monday night game. How about a Monday night football game? How about a Sunday night home game? 
How about that? Or, or, or what's going to happen with the Raiders' schedule, international or not? I'd love your opinion on that this week. I got baseball to mix in, and we'll talk about the Warriors. Are the Warriors in trouble? Yeah, I think the Warriors are in trouble. 702-365-9200. That was 27 minutes of me. Let's hear from a few of you and pretend that we are in a hockey town, at least for the next four or five days, because I think the season is on the edge of going up there to Edmonton. Your opinion on that? The monologue brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. The Quantro remote that we had at the Palms, really appreciate that, and those who came out to see us. the fan put the hand on me first so I thought the league supposed to protect us or whatever so but maybe maybe I'm wrong so we will see did Which, you happen to know who the fan was he's a fan isn't he if uh, he's a setting senior Phoenix Suns owner sitting on the court and he's a fan isn't he yeah. that doesn't mean that he's a so whoever it is and he's a fan he cannot influence the game by holding the ball that was a great comeback by Jokic I mean he was startled not that not the coach nor the best player in the league understood that the fan who had the ball was the owner. And Jokic could have paused and said, you know, he has a language issue. This isn't his first language. And he's like, no, he's a fan. He's right. He is a fan. That's why he bought the team. He's the owner of the team. He bought it because he's a fan. And most of these guys are fans. And you got to look at it the same way. Welcome back, JT, with you. Just got a, a text from a friend of mine inside Allegiant Stadium. Peyton Manning's in Allegiant Stadium today. Yeah, a little Peyton Manning alert here in the city, as we always appreciate our listeners. Now, I want to spend a moment with a big heavy heart on the passing of Ida Blue. If that doesn't get the phones going, then we might as well just rip the phones out of here, Bobby, and we'll turn this into a two-hour podcast. They pay me the same. We'll do a podcast. Vita Blue died over the weekend. I heard about it through Fred Bolitnikoff, and I talked to Fred every day, and I talked to my dad every day, Fred every day. It was like a second dad to me, and Freddie let me know. And Freddie really was, you know, he has a heavy heart. They're really good friends. So Vita passes away, and Vita was a friend. He started off being an acquaintance of mine. But when I started my career in the Bay Area on KMBR and the Ticket 1050, Vita was around a lot. You know, we'd go to the Bay Area Hall of Fame, or there was a golf tournament with Rick Barry or whatever, and I got to know Vita, and he was a listener. And I was really proud of that. Vita listened to the show. When I was on back then in the Bay Area, they actually had big shows. And they actually had really big shows on KMBR. And I was syndicated there at night, and then I started my career doing eight hours a day, three during the day on the Ticket 1050, which had a connection to the A's, and then my national show every night from 9 to 2 a.m. And Vita would listen. So he'd say, hey, Brick, I heard you say this, or whatever. Then I started emceeing Fred Bolitnikoff's Hall of Fame Golf Classic. We just had the 19th, and I think Vida was at 15 or 16 of them, but he wasn't at this year's. So I was going over the rundown of the Hall of Famers and celebrities who were there, and Freddie said, you know, Vida's not going to be here. I said, oh, is everything okay? He said, yeah, he's not feeling well. I wish I would have picked up the phone right at that second and called Vida, as I have his number in my phone. And just said, hey, we're thinking of you. Uh, we, we're going to miss you. How easy would that have been for me to do? But I thought he was fine. I didn't know what was going on. And he passes away at the age of 73. Uh, Vita Blue was a really good man. And again, there was some controversy in his career. There was a drug issue 
in his career. There was problems that he had, obviously, with the owner at the time, Charlie O'Finley, really ugly incidents. But Vita Blue did something that I don't think will ever be done again in the history of baseball. He was 21 years old, 21 years old in 1971. He won the Cy Young Award and the MVP of the league. Now let that sink in for a second. He was 21, not 29, but in the league a number of years. That year, Vita Blue was incredible. His record was 24-8. and eight. He had 24 complete games. Now, that's easy to remember. He won 24. Now, not all those games were complete games, but in the totality, Vita had 24 complete games. And he had eight shutouts. Let that sink in. Eight shutouts in 24 complete games. He pitched 312 innings that year. He had a 1.82 ERA. His winning percentage was incredible that year. But most importantly, the strikeouts... That year, he had 301, and he never got to 300 again. But it was an impressive career. It was elite. So you can go back to 1971 with the swinging A's, and it's almost impossible to find a season like that going through the history of all of baseball. Oh, on a World Series team. Remember, he paid, he won three World Series. So with Vita, with all that, leading into the great run of the dynasty of the Oakland Athletics, he passed away. And again, I don't think Fred, I'm not going to share everything that I was talking to Fred about, but the thing that Fred brought up to me, and he actually texted me about, and I'll just give you a bit piece of it, he goes, the era of greatness in sports is slowly disappearing. I truly believe that the career these guys had will never be a part of the younger players understanding it. And that comes from a guy who just turned 80 years old, and he's not a get-off-my-lawn guy. You know, Freddie will still have a cold one with you as he's smoking a cigarette in a heater and talking to you about life. He's that special of a guy. So for the Oakland fans that are listening and the Raider fans who are Oakland A's fans, I think it'd be really important today to give a Vita Blue phone call and talk about the impact that Vita had on his life and career. And someone asked me to compare him with Otani. And I said, what are you talking about? Otani's never won the MVP. Otani, Otani hasn't done what Vita did at 21. Uh, how many rings does Otani have? Oh, that'd be none. How many times has Otani pitched in the playoffs and threw a one-hitter and struck out 13? That'd be none. So, again, we, we're in love with Otani. We're in love with everything that's happening here, but please put Vita Blue's life into perspective. One other story, we were playing one year at Cataverde up there in the Bay Area, and I was golfing with Vita, and Go Vita was on my team. We had a foursome, and we were sitting there playing, and I hit a wedge into the green about 15 feet from the hole, you know, a little nine-iron wedge, and I'm in the cart with Vida, and he goes, oh, Brick, we got to make this putt. And I looked at Vida, and I go, Vida, it doesn't matter. We're not going to win. Willie Brown and Cliff Branch are here. And he started laughing because they always made fun of those guys with the pencils on the scorecard. So Vida said to me, go make the putt because you made the shot, and I missed the putt. And then the next person who bought the force and missed the putt, and Vida was saying the whole time, true story, I got this, don't worry. I got this. And I'm like, well, it's a 12-footer. You know, you don't got 12-footers. And he sunk it. And I remember the smile on his face. We got in the cart, you know, fist bump. We go to the next hole. He's on the tee, and he's greeting all the sponsors and the staff that's working there. Just a beautiful thing, man. Really, I'm so blessed in my life that in sports, I've gotten to meet my heroes. And my heroes were Reggie Jackson and Thurman Munson. 
you know, I've had some heroes in my life, but getting to know Vida over the last 15 to 20 years, maybe even a little bit longer, I was really banged up yesterday when the news was released that he passed away because I thought we were going to see him a lot more. And if you take away one segment or today, if you could take away one message I want to give, pick up the phone. Pick up the phone and call someone. And, and call someone that you haven't heard from in a while and most likely someone in their 70s or late 70s and check in on them. Because I, I remember wanting to do that and I didn't do it. And I had a chance, and I hope Jim Brown's okay, but when I saw Jim Brown at the Hall of Fame, uh, he, he did not look well. And he's up there, and I went over to him, and I had my moment of him to, to thank him for everything he's done in my life and career. And I hope he outlives everybody and lives another 10 years. But I said to myself in that moment, I really think it's important, really important that I talk to Jim. Because if I don't see him again, I wanted to get this off my chest. And that's what I think about with these Raider legends who are here. And we've lost a lot of Raider legends over the last four or five years. And many are still here. That's why it was so important that Tom Flores got inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's so great, the relationships that we've had with Willie Brown and Cliff Branch and all the great ones. None more important right now for me than Freddie and Jim Otto. Whenever I see Jim Otto at an event, it's always fabulous to go up to him and his wife Sally and say, Hey, man, how are you? Great to see you again. And there's always a smile. I wish there was one more smile for me with Vita Blue. There's a lot more people listening that had better friendships with him or was invested in his career. Uh, But Vita, no doubt, was an absolute all-time great. And when I look back at the season of 1971 as a young boy, and I didn't know who he was, but I remember the teams I was rooting for back then and to see what Vita did that year, I don't think it'll ever be duplicated again. It won't. I don't think you'll have a pitcher ever for the rest of our lives, ever, who has 24 complete games. 24. Never happened. Garrett Cole, Otani, none of them. going to pitch past the seventh inning if we're lucky. So that leaves Vida's legacy alone, along with Bob Gibson, Sandy Koufax, and all of that. You know, dive back into the history. You don't have to dive that far back with Vida Blue. Vida Blue, rest in paradise. 702-365-9200 as we continue. Mike Florio is joining the show. That's a nice get. He'll join us at 1.30. Also, Andy Bailey is going to join us, who has a great column and he's a contributor in the NBA. Are the Warriors in trouble? Yeah, I think they're in trouble because Anthony Davis is at home, rested and ready to play. Can Steph come and save the day? Curry trying to come and get the ball off a screen, catches top of the key, off a dribble, takes a deep three over a double team. Curry knocked it down. That's Tim Roy, voice of the Warriors, as you know. JT, back with you. We're brought to you by Modelo, the fighting spirit of Modelo. Proud partners of ours here on Raider Nation Radio. Hoist a Modelo for me, a bucket of Modelos on Friday after the Raiders' schedule release. Uh, let's get back to the Warriors. Andy Bailey is kind enough to join us, a very good insider from Bleacher Report. Andy, thanks for a few minutes, and I think the Warriors are in trouble. One more loss, and the series gets away from them. How do you see it? As I'm watching this series, two thoughts keep coming to my mind. And, and first is that this is kind of starting to remind me of the 2019 Finals after KD went down and and it 
in that moment felt very overwhelming for Curry. Like he was, he was the one guy out there who could generate anything. And because he was the one guy who could generate anything, Toronto could really key in on him. And it just started to feel like a huge mismatch. Um, and it's, it's really feeling that way to me against this Lakers team for the Warriors. And at the same time, every time I feel that, I kind of have to check myself and think, well, I thought the Warriors were pretty much done when they were down 2-0 against the Kings. And then I thought mm-hmm. they were pretty much done again when they were down 3-2 against the Kings. Um, they just will not go away. And it's it's been that way for almost a decade now. We're over a decade now. So they're a team that I know this is kind of cliche to say, but they're a team that I really cannot count out until that fourth loss happens. And I, I could see it happening in the Lakers series, but I – I'm not ready to make a definitive call yet on that because they've just they've they've proven me wrong and they've come back from the grave so many times. Yeah, it's just amazing what Rob Palenka did to try to retool this team in season and not wait till the off season and not throw in the towel with the problems they had with Russell Westbrook and some of the other players as they want to move them around. Of course, a healthy Anthony Davis, but D'Angelo Russell had 21 points in the last game. Schroeder, Hachimura. I mean, these guys are playing with, though, if the guys know they're coming in, like Hachimura only going to get 15, 60 minutes, Schroeder's going to get 20, and they play with that pace, then these are really good 20-minute players. They're not 40-minute players, but I think they're doing a great job, Darvin Ham, with the minutes here and the matchups with the Lakers on the Warriors defensively. Yeah, it's, I, I honestly think it's incredible what Rob Palenka did. Um, and from the perspective of some of the other teams, it's becomes increasingly more of a head scratcher, especially from the jazz. Um, the deals that they made at the deadline were a little confusing to me at the time. And, and they just get more confusing with age, but credit to Palinka. I mean, he brought in, you mentioned Hachimura. He was kind of the first domino to fall. Uh, and I think they use him exactly the way that they should. And he's a big guy. And he looks especially big against the warriors, which is a small team, look very, very small compared to the Lakers. Um, an underrated thing that I think the Lakers have done, and they get credit for the Austin Reeves um, pickup as well, having him and D'Angelo Russell, two guys who can really handle the offense, not just for a possession here or there. They they can run the show for a whole game or a whole quarter, and that has taken a huge load off LeBron. Um, he's had a really good postseason, LeBron has, but he's averaging something like 22 points and five assists much different usage type of numbers than we're used to seeing from him. And I think that's helped too, because they have other guys who can relieve him. Some of those Mm -hmm. duties, it makes their offense a little bit less predictable than some previous LeBron offenses have been. So they've, they checked so many boxes with their off season moves. Another one is Jared Vanderbilt, who's been huge in this Mm -hmm. series because he's able and willing to chase Stephen Curry around having a power forward that you can trust to guard Curry is pretty incredible. Like it, it was just one box checked after another by Polinka in in terms of in season moves, and that's pretty remarkable. Andy Bailey's kind enough to join us, insider for the NBA at Bleacher Report. Uh, finally, we knew Kevon Looney had an illness there, so give him that. He was not right. Uh, hopefully, he's better and he could come back and dominate. I mean, he's got to get twelve to fifteen rebounds. He can get you twenty and some production with scoring, but the defense is there when they have to go big when they have to go big with Looney there. What do you expect from him to try to save the series here? I don't think the Warriors can beat Anthony Davis and the Lakers if Looney doesn't come back and really have an impact. 
Yeah, I think you're right again. I, I think he's going to have have to have a couple of those games like he did against the Kings where he's not just getting 12 or 13 rebounds. He's getting, you know, seven or eight of those are offensive. Um, mm-hmm. Because when they play him and Draymond together, the offense, the, the dynamic changes quite a bit for the Warriors. Um, just having one less shooter out there, I think, changes things a lot. And the way that he impacts the game offensively is on the offensive boards. It's just... <laughs> It's a lot harder for him to do that against Jared Vanderbilt and Anthony Davis than it was against Damanis Sabonis and Harrison Barnes. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't say that to say that he can't have a big game on the offensive boards against those two. I think that he can. Um, I I don't know if I've ever seen a guy who has a combination of his level of athleticism and, and ability to grab offensive boards. It's It's kind of remarkable to me. So I think he has it in him, but it's just a much different equation than it was against the Kings, but that's how he's got to impact the game. And and that's a way to create offense is to get offensive rebounds. So he's, he's going to have to turn back the clock a couple of weeks to be uh, effective for them. And I actually think that's probably the way they need to go. Um, Jamichael green, being able to space the floor, I, I think is mm-hmm. effective, but he, it really falls off a cliff in terms of his skill set after that. So I think they got to get back to that lineup that really dominated throughout the regular season, and that's the starters with Looney in there, and and mm-hmm. hope that what worked in the regular season will work against this Lakers team. It's just, R- <laughs> like I said, I mean, I, I'm hesitant to count out the Warriors watching this series. It's it's just mm-hmm. getting harder and harder to see how they solve all these problems. Andy Bailey, as we wrap it up from Bleacher Report, no player, I'm a diehard Nick fan, diehard, and no player frustrates me more than Julius Randle. 0 for 5 from 3. I don't know how this guy's allowed to take a 3. I know he can hit a few. So can Anthony Davis. But he's much more effective when he attacks the rim. And Jalen Brunson was 0 for 5 from 3 for 20 points there. So you get the two best players combined 0 for 10. And they got blown out. And they didn't have any heart in that game. And they looked like they were out on South Beach the night before. That can't be acceptable for Thibodeau. He's got to get more out of his team with a road performance like that, where that game was over early into the third quarter here, do you expect the Knicks to bounce back? I think they'll fight. Um, it's hard for me to pick the Knicks to win the series at this point, and I, mm-hmm. I think Julius Randle, I can't imagine as a Knicks fan. I, I uh, empathize <laughs> with that mm-hmm. frustration because just watching him um, as an outsider and an analyst, what, whatever whatever lens I bring to those games, it's pretty frustrating. Um and the Knicks have a few guys like that. I, I, I feel like R.J. Barrett is kind of hard to watch for similar reasons a lot of times. These, these are guys that I think in theory should be able to dominate driving lanes, dominate the paint, and a lot of times they settle for outside shots when they're just not great shooters. I, I, that doesn't apply to Jalen Brunson, obviously. He's, he's a pretty darn good shooter. But wildly inconsistent shooting from Randall and Barrett, and I think that'll probably sink the Knicks. But they're they're a really competitive bunch. I've I've seen them um, play some really good teams really well over the course of the season. I think Thibodeau's is exactly the kind of hard nosed coach that that roster needs. Um, and my it's not like Miami's super deep either. So that's another series I could still see going a few more games. 
Uh, last one, Andy, the performance, phenomenal from James Harden. He needs a legacy play for his career. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. He's going to be one of the great scorers of all time, but he needs a moment that he didn't get at Houston. He got close in the conference finals and was there early in Oklahoma City with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, but this is his moment with Embiid as the MVP, and he's hitting monster shots with ice water in his veins. Who do you like going forward between Boston and Harden and Philadelphia the way they played? I'm still picking Boston in that mm-hmm. series. I think when they're really dialed in, um, they still probably look the most like a championship team to me of, of any uh, group that's left. They can play a bunch of different ways. They've got those three guards that I think are all dynamic defensively, lots of wings. They can play big or small. Um, I really like them. But <laughs> I, I think Philadelphia, and I, I felt basically all season long that Philadelphia is a little better than people are giving them credit for. And I thought that James Harden was a big reason for that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to make – I don't know what all NBA team he's going to make. If those have even been announced yet, uh, he was phenomenal in the regular season. And I think people focus on the rough stretches or the rough games for him. And they certainly did after games two and three and probably deservedly so in this series. Mm-hmm. But if you look at this postseason on balance, he's probably been better than Joel Embiid. Um, and this could be his legacy moment, as you alluded to. Uh, in a lot of ways, he kind of bailed Embiid out today. I mean, Embiid didn't have a great fourth quarter, and Harden finishes with the game-winning shot and finished with 42 points or whatever he had. Um, When he comes to play, he still looks like an MVP-level player. I I think he's maybe more prone to off nights than he was in years past. But when he plays like this, Philadelphia has a very, very high ceiling. Thanks, Andy. Got to get out. Top of the hour here. Appreciate Andy Baylor. Follow him at Bleacher Report. Big game tonight with the Lakers and Warriors. Monster game. Pivotal game of the series. Hour number two coming up next. Mike Florio at the bottom of next hour. You don't want to miss that from Pro Football Talk. Brought to you by the DeCastaverde Law Group.